We're in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. Last week, I briefly told you the story of two workers. If you remember the story of two workers, two dudes get hired to do the same job. One is told, I will give you $10,000 a year to go into this. You, you sit in this room, you take a nut, you're like in a little assembly line, you pick up a nut, you put a screw, you put it on there, and you pass it down the assembly line. That's all you do, Ten grand. all right? The other guy, same exact job, pick a, pick a screw, put a nut, put it on there, pass it down the assembly line. This guy's told you get a million dollars a year for doing this job, all right? How does the outcome affect the day-to-day operations of, this, of these two individuals, all right? One guy, this job sucks. This is the worst job I've ever had in my life. It's so menial. I can't believe it. There's no purpose. I'm making $10,000 a year, and I'm doing this. I'm going to get carpal tunnel in my fingers. This is going to be terrible, okay? The other guy, same job, same circumstances, except he has a promised inheritance of a million dollars. He's loving it. He's thinking, this is the sweetest job I've ever had in my life. I get to sit in a chair. I'm just working with my hands. I get to think all day long because it doesn't take much brain power to put this on there so I can read. I can listen to podcasts that's going on. I can listen to sermons. Man, this is the best job I've ever had. Plus, I'm taking care of my family. A million bucks. I can't believe I get paid to do this. A million bucks. Same job, but the promised inheritance makes a difference. The promised inheritance makes a difference. The future has a way of being able to reach back into the present and affect our today. The future inheritance affects the way they see and live their everyday lives. I want you to see how the future, okay, the coming future has a way of reaching back into time, into your everyday existence, and changing those things that you think are unchangeable. The emotions that you think are unchangeable, right? the thoughts that you think are unchangeable, the habits that you think are unchangeable, the promised future, the future has a way of reaching back into the everyday life and and changing it. Tonight, we're going to talk a lot about our future inheritance. We're probably going to spend a couple weeks on it because I imagine I'm going to to cook your noodle a little bit and you're probably going to um, have a lot of questions, I would assume, and it's going to take a couple weeks to do this. What is the promised inheritance of the family of God? Those who, as Paul says, are now in Christ. What is your inheritance? All right? Let's take a look at the book of Ephesians, verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11. In Him, that's in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Now look at um, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. If you recall, Paul starts this whole section off with a 202-word sentence that has no punctuation. All right? In this massive sentence, which many scholars say is is the most beautiful passage in any ancient Greek literature ever, okay, most scholars just go on and on about how beautifully this is written. Paul lobs seven verbal grenades into our lap and waits for the explosion. All right? We talked about these. He says this, you've been chosen, you've been predestined, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed, 
You've been forgiven, you've been lavished upon, and you've been united. Seven things. I mean, this, that's huge, right? Every one of those, you, we could spend months talking about what does adoption mean, and what does predestination mean, and what does election mean, and what does choose, all those things. He just lobs those things out there because his, he's so cosmic in his scope. He's in a jail cell, but his mind is not captive to his present circumstances, so he's so above them, he's so out of them, his mind is so wrapped up of being in Christ and what his inheritance is in God that it, that inheritance reaches back into the present and changes his perspective on his life. And he just blows up in doxology. He blows up in worship. And then when we get to verse 11 here, he says this, Those who have been chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, and forgiven have obtained an inheritance. This thought flows naturally from those first 10 verses. Since we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God, through Jesus Christ, we now have an inheritance from our Father God. Um, Chad and Susan, they're not here, but they've adopted three children. And all of their kids will receive an inheritance from Chad for one reason their relationship to the Father. That's the only reason they're going to receive an inheritance because their relationship with the Father. It doesn't matter that they're adopted versus biological. Being adopted into the family guarantees them an inheritance. Now, Paul's argument is following a similar trajectory. Since we have adopted in Christ, our Father has a promised inheritance for us. Now listen, this is exciting. Okay, Chad might leave his kids some money and maybe some crappy Cardinals gear. God, all right, I can talk about it when he's not here. It's fun. Uh, What is God's inheritance for us? If God has adopted us and now we are his children, what kind of inheritance is he giving us? What kind of inheritance has he promised us? that, That should excite us. The God who created everything with the word of his command has an inheritance for us. What is that? Let's take a look at the text. In verse 11, it says that we have obtained this inheritance, but then look in verse 14. 14, it says that we have only received the down payment for this inheritance. If you look at that word guarantee, there should be a little number. If you have an ESV, there should be a little number by that guarantee. Do you have that? It's probably a little number four. Does everybody see that? If you look down on the bottom of your page, there's a footnote, and it says, or down payment. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? Okay. The best, and then there's going to be another footnote. I wish I had, I wish I should have brought this up here. I, could, I would have wrote it on the, on the whiteboard. Which one is it? Do we have an inheritance or do we have the down payment to, the, to an inheritance? Have we obtained an inheritance or do we have a down payment to an inheritance? All right? The answer is both. And we're going to work through this. The answer is both. And this is going to be, um, it's going to be a little heady tonight. Listen, if it doesn't cause all of, if you don't have to focus and all of your mind to focus on something, it's probably not God. Why would God be easy to understand? Why? I mean, some people are like, I don't like to think, and I don't like to study, and I don't like to... It's God. How could He be easy to understand? He shouldn't be. We should have to 
I mean, that's why Jesus, worship him with all your mind, right? It should take all of our mental faculties to focus on something. So it's going to take a little bit of mental work tonight. It might take a little bit of mental heavy lifting. But I want us to focus on this because I think there's a truth here that's going to shape us. When we get a hold of what our inheritance is, it's going to have a way of reaching back into our present life and changing the way we live our day to day, okay? So when we are adopted by God and put our faith in Christ... We are given the down payment of our inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is given to us when we confess faith. After God has elected us, after he's chosen us, we put our faith in him. The Holy Spirit comes into our life, and we are given the down payment of our inheritance. Okay, everybody say down payment. Okay. Now, verse 14, the best way to read this. If you look at your footnotes, you can put it together from your footnotes. This is the best way to read this. We've been, we were, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the down payment of our inheritance until God redeems his possession. The Holy Spirit is our down payment until God redeems his possession. Until God redeems his possession. Okay, listen. Two things right off the top. The Holy Spirit has been given us for two reasons. Number one, to seal us. To seal us. God has not left us alone. When Jesus left this earth, he said, it's better for you that I go back to the Father because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Okay? When Jesus left, he did not leave us to fend for ourselves. He sent the Holy Spirit to comfort us in our troubles, to strengthen us in our afflictions, to convict us when we walk away from God, and to teach us how to flourish. Okay? That's one of the things, that the, that's one of the work that the, that the Spirit does, is He seals us, okay? The Holy, now listen, here's a big word, okay? Es, oh man, this is hard. Um, the eschatology is the study of end times. That's the easiest way to say it. The study of last things, okay? The study of what's coming, the study of the future. That's called eschatology, okay? It's a big word, but I'm going to use it, I'm going to use it, because I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote from one of our commentaries here. The Holy Spirit is an eschatological seal, a seal pointing to the future. That's all it says, a seal pointing to the future who marks, listen, who marks believers out as a people who will be protected through the testings, battles, and the sufferings of the last days which are already upon them. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit, this is so good, this is such a a truth that we should really sink our teeth into. One of the truths of the Holy Spirit is He seals us. He protects us. He watches over us. He strengthens us. He comforts us as we're being tempted, as we're going through trials, as we're going through tough times. He protects us. It's in that truth that we can rest, that when Christ comes back or we lay our head down for our final resting place, we will awaken in the arms of Christ, not on our own goodness, not on our moral standing, not on how great we fulfill the mission of God, but it's on the work of Christ in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit keeps us. The Holy Spirit keeps us. Okay, lastly, or or secondly, to secure us. So he seals us and he secures us. Being sealed by the Holy Spirit means that our salvation in future is secure in Christ, okay? I couldn't pass over this text without just talking briefly about the work of the Holy Spirit right there. He seals us and he secures us in Christ, all right? It's a beautiful gift. Now listen, but here, here's the question. But how is the Holy Spirit a down payment? How is the Holy Spirit a down payment? 
In a down payment, that which is given is a small portion of a greater whole, but is the same substance of the greater whole. I kind of mentioned this last week. If I put $5,000 down for a down payment on a house, that's a promise that the other 100 or the other 150 or the other whatever is on the way and it's going to come in the same currency. I gave you five grand, I will pay in dollars, okay? I don't, we're not bartering here. I don't, I'm not saying I'm going to give you $5,000 then my wife will make a lot of hair bows for the remainder of the balance, okay? <laughs> when I pay a down payment, it's in the same currency. Now listen, this is big. It's in the same currency. They can expect more of the same. Say more of the same. They can expect more of the same. When God gives us His Holy Spirit, He is saying to us, there is more where that came from. And there is more on the way. There is coming a day when you will be complete. You will be whole. You will be sinless. You will be holy. And you will be happy. Right now, You have been set free. We went through this whole passage, right? You've been redeemed. You've been ransomed. You have been set free from the penalty of sin. If you are in Christ, you die today. You will go go to be with Christ where He is, okay? You've been set free from the penalty of sin. You are no longer, in His eyes, a sinner, okay? In His eyes, you have become the righteousness of Christ, right? But... Every one of us still fight the presence, the presence of sin inside of us. Been saved from the penalty, but we still fight the presence of sin inside of us. We struggle on a daily basis to believe the gospel and live out our callings as disciples and missionaries to his word. Amen? Is that true? Every day we struggle with the presence of sin, correct? Yes. All right. Paul is telling the Ephesians and us tonight, this is big. That the Holy Spirit is a down payment to our full redemption. Say full redemption. Okay. Is Justin, we've obtained an inheritance, but he's the down payment. Is, how can both those things be true? Yes, they're both true. Okay, this is how. We have been set free from the penalty of sin. Once and for all, Christ's atoning work has done that in our heart. But we know because we still live in a fallen world where the presence of sin and the enemy prowls around and the evil spirits lurk and all the stuff that's going on, we still have to deal with the presence of sin, our sinful nature that we have inherited from Adam, right? The original sin. We still have to deal with that on an everyday basis, okay? Now listen, this is called the already not yet principle of eschatology. What? The already not yet principle. That Christ has completed once and for all. He said on the cross, it's finished. But there's still things that, he must, that must come to completion in the second coming of Christ. Okay? See, already, not yet. We've been set free from the penalty of sin, but we still have the presence of sin. Well, what, what, what is, what's that going to look like? Listen, this already, this is going to be big. This already, not yet principle, I'm going to call tonight Christian hope. This is the basis of what what we call Christian hope, all right? What we believe is coming in the future. Now, listen, hope is not, we we have a a bad uh, definition of hope in our head, okay? 
Some of us are like, I hope it don't rain tomorrow. Like, that is not hope, okay? That wishy-washy feeling is not Christian hope, all right? Christian hope is entirely different. It's a life-shaping certainty about the future. Christian hope is a life-shaping, life-shaping certainty about the future. That's what Christian hope is, a life-shaping certainty about the future. It's living now in a way that is affected by the future I know is coming. We talked about the little dude. He's in there putting the nuts in the bowls. He's happy. He's excited. Why? Because he knows at the end of a year he's getting a million bucks. So it changes his day-to-day life. It changes the menial work. It ch- his fingers hurt, but hey, that don't matter. At least my back don't hurt, man. This is pretty good. I like this job. It changes what he's doing on a day-to-day basis because he knows he has a hope that something's coming. It's not just a wishy-washy hope. He's got a guy's word. He's probably got a contract signed. He knows he's getting paid a million bucks at the end of the year. It changes his day-to-day life. So what? What is our Christian hope? What, what does the future look like for sons and daughters of God? What does the future look like for those inside the family of God? Turn to Romans 8. Verse 20. When you're there, say there. Eight twenty, eight twenty, Romans eight twenty. This is Paul writing again. Yeah. Paul's writing to the Romans here. When you're there, say there. Okay. All right, let's go. Good. Eight twenty. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Stop. That should tie us right back into the story of God. First week or first or second week, creation was subjected to futility. What's that talking about? Sin. Sin. Right? Adam and Eve sinned. They were affected, but what else was affected? Everything, right? When they sinned, they allowed, they allowed sin to taint, to rupture all of creation. So sin had a devastating effect on all of God's creation. Roses started bear, bearing thorns. Animals started eating each other. Okay, tornadoes started happening, floods started happening, earthquakes started happening, creation itself ruptured because of the presence of sin upon it. Creation was never meant to bear the weight of sin. We did that. Our ancestors did that. We brought the, good, the bad to this good world. Okay, now let's keep reading. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope, say in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, look at this, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits, deposit, right there. That's what we're, okay? They've got the deposit, they've got the down payment. He's talking in the same language as he's talking in Ephesians. Who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. Oh, adoption. I thought we were already adopted. Aren't we already adopted? Paul says in Ephesians that we've already been adopted. What's he talking about? That we wait for adoption as sons. Let's read the next little verse. The redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Say this hope. hope. Now we hope that is seen. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Okay. Already? Not yet. We've been adopted. But what adoption are we still waiting for? What adoption are we still waiting for? Look in Romans right there. We just read it. What adoption are we still waiting for? The redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. This is huge. This is huge. Paul tells us that our future hope is that all of creation will be liberated. On the last day, the love and grace of God will fall on us in a way so blindingly, cosmically powerful that our bodies will be dazzling, not just our souls. It will be so amazing that it will envelop all of creation. I want you to hear this tonight. Your future hope is not heaven. Your future hope is not heaven where you'll be some spirit being. Heaven is just a pit stop on our way to new creation. Where the heavens and earth are united into one place and we all have some kind of perfect physical body. Uh, Revelation 21, 1 and 2. You can see where the heaven comes down and the city of God comes up and they meet in the middle and the new creation happens. Listen to me. It's my belief that the reason we're not affected by the future very much in our day-to-day life is because the majority of the future that you have in your head sucks. No, who wants to go to heaven to float on a cloud? Really? Is there football in heaven? Are there trains in heaven? Like my son, would like, like he doesn't want to go to heaven. No, Dad, I'd rather stay here. Is there cartoons in heaven? Because I'd like, I like my cartoons. Do they have sippies in heaven? Like, I want my sippy right now. So, <laughs> heaven doesn't sound very appealing to me. I grew up not wanting to go to heaven. I grew up thinking, heaven sounds really boring. Are you just going to sing a lot? We're going to sing a lot. Angels playing harps and stuff? Sounds boring. Floating on a cloud? Listen, we don't find that anywhere in Scripture. If that's a little bit of your mentality, of your idea of heaven, you've been shaped by the culture and Hallmark and stories and, and, and songs on the radio. I was listening this week, and there's some country song about if heaven were a little bit closer or something like that, and we're floating on clouds, and there's all this kind of stuff. Mom's up there. And I'm like, that's not, listen, that's, oh, that's not. Tyler, flip the lights or something, dude. Uh, that's not the Christian hope. That is not the Christian hope. Christian hope, guys, listen, is new creation. Heaven, if you want to get it right, 
Heaven is the inner, theologians would say this, heaven is called the intermediary state. When you die right now, if you were to die right now, when grandma and grandpa and everybody else, they go to the intermediary state with Christ in the heavens right now. That's where they go. But that's not where they stay for eternity. That's not the point. That's a pit stop, man. The point is heaven, when Christ comes back the second time, (coughs) heaven comes down with him, and the earth is completely renewed. Completely renewed. That's the point. Why would God create the world just to burn it up at the end times and send everybody up some cosmic floating place and we just float around as spirit beings? How do, and we get questions like this. Well, how, am I going to recognize my wife in heaven because we're going to be like spirits and stuff? How do I? No, you're not going to be a spirit. You're going to have a physical body. 1 Corinthians 15 says... The what? (laughs) Thank God! Exactly. Yes. Thank God. Thank. I mean, if we start thinking about this, it makes sense. Why did God create animals? Do animals get to go? What what are animals doing? They're just here, and then when when the new creation comes, they're just gone. Psych! I just made those as a warm up to you. No, animals are for our enjoyment. They're for the glory of God. They're going to be in new creation. They're going to be a new creation. We need to understand this. We need to get our... It makes me want to shake the evangelical church because they're not preaching the gospel, man. We don't know the end of the story. Everybody wants to come in and get saved so they don't go to hell. All right? Yeah, that's great. Okay, that's good. Nobody wants to go to hell. But there's something glorious awaiting us. There's a new creation where God, as he made everything perfect, and he said, this is good. He's doing that again, and it's going to be even greater. There's something exciting waiting for us. Psalm 96.12 says this. When Christ comes back, the trees will sing for joy. The new creation, the trees will sing for joy. If the trees can sing, what will you be able to do? If the trees will sing, creation comes back to life, man. Remove the curse from it. Things better than we can imagine. Trees can sing. What will we be able to do? This is, thankfully, this is not like some blind hope that we have. This future, listen, this future has been sown like a seed in time in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do we get confused about what our body's going to look like? What happened to Jesus? Did they go back and, G- and, they, and Mary opens the, or the tombs open and Mary goes, oh, there's his body. Jesus must have resurrected. His spirit must be floating around in heaven somewhere. Spirit man, he's probably in heaven enjoying, you know, angelic beings and all kind of stuff. And Jesus is probably looking down at us now, floating around as a spirit. What happened when she went back to the, the tomb? What? He was gone. His physical body was gone. His physical body was resurrected. Physical body. When he showed up to Thomas, he said, Thomas, you're a fool. But look, look right here. He had scars on his hands. He had a hole in his side. He had a, he had a representation. He didn't look exactly the same. 
They were confused. They thought he was the gardener at first, you know. He didn't look exactly the same. He had some kind of whacked out crazy body. I got to give him props for that because he walked through walls and then he ate fish. I don't know how this works. I don't know how it works. But he has some, listen, C.S. Lewis says this. Our heavenly bodies are more real. They're more real than these earthly bodies. So much so in The Great Divorce, he talks about people walking from hell to heaven. And when they get into heaven, it's hell for them. Because the grass on the ground is so real, it pierces through their feet as they walk. It's too real for them. Have you ever seen somebody that's been really sick and somebody says, they're just a shadow of their former self. They're just a shadow of their former self. You, right now, are just a shadow of your future self. You're a shadow of who you're going to be in the new creation. I could run around this stinking room right now. That's exciting to me. That's exciting to me. That's the future. And listen, this is so bad. This isn't just like a hope that we've got. Christ proved it for us. Okay? Every other person on the planet, their body is rotting in the ground, other than I think we've got Enoch, Elisha, or Elijah, I can't remember which one, and Jesus. Jesus is the only one that's rocking his eternal, incorruptible body in heaven. He is the only piece of new creation that's in existence right now. When Jesus got up from the grave, he showed us exactly what's going to happen to us. The flesh, the corruptible, will put on incorruptible, and you'll become more real. What you know in part, you will now know in full. That happened in history. We have, a, we have a Savior who that was resurrected. We have proof for it, historical proof for it. His body floated up out of this world or whatever. Beam me up, Scotty. His body went up. Physical body went up. That is what will happen to us. That future reality should reach back and grab us today. The future has broken into the present. This promised new creation has already started. Jesus was not resurrected as a spirit. He is the first of all creation to receive his resurrected new creation body. New creation started in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. New creation started. It's like yeast, right? Yeast that's thrown into the into the bread and it works its way in and the bread starts rising. It's like a seed that's sown and eventually it's, you know, maybe a mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds and then it grows into a huge plant. New creation has been sown in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. New creation has impacted our world today and as we receive our salvation, our inheritance that we have already and we begin working out new creation in our own life, what human flourishing looks like, we bring bits and pieces of that into this world. But that's for next week. I don't want to share too much of how we work for the kingdom that's coming. Christian hope tells us that the world we all want is on its way. I love the way John, John Piper says it this way. Uh, is there going to be football in heaven? Probably. I don't know for sure, but probably. Golf, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) The world we all want is on its way. That's the Christian hope. Not some 
wants to go to heaven and float around and not even recognize people and just be part of the universe. That's like panentheism. That's not Christian hope, man. Christian hope is we have a real physical body. Your taste buds become more real. Food, some of us like recognize a few flavors. Imagine what it's going to be like to sit down at the table of the Lord and feast on those foods. Your taste buds are going to be set free from the result of sin. Everything's going to taste like a Jolly Rancher. <laughs> that's my interpretation. I don't really know if that's true. But, <laughs> we, but listen, we've been given the down payment to that. And more's on the way. The Spirit of God on the inside of us. We've been given the down payment of the future hope, of the future reality. How do we know it's coming? Do you have the Spirit of God? Do you have the comfort of His Spirit? Do you have His conviction? Do you have His love poured into your life, like Romans tells us? That is the first fruit. That is the down payment for what's on its way. Say more of the same. How do you receive this Christian hope? Verse 13 tells us in Ephesians, you receive the Christian hope one way, by believing the word of the gospel. If you're in this room tonight and you are not in Christ, this is not your hope. This is not your future. Your future is eternity separated from Christ. But if you are in Christ, if you believe the gospel, that you are worse than you think you are, but you are more loved than you could ever imagine, that Christ proved his love for you once and for all on the cross, dying for your sins in your place. As we prepare to come to the table of our Lord, our future hope infuses this sacrament with meaning and purpose. The future hope reaches back into right now and infuses what we're about to do with new meaning and new purpose. This isn't just bread and wine. This is the new creation reaching back into today. When Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood, he's giving created things new meaning, new purpose. He's infusing them with grace. He could have said, I want you, when you come together, to sit back and meditate on why the sky is blue. And when you do that, you'll realize you're not me, and I'm great. He could have done that. He could have done some ethereal, you know, philosophical, he could have gave us something like that. But what did he give us? He gave us creation. He gave us stuff. He gave us bread. He gave us wine so we could taste him, so we could drink him in. So this, as it's broken down by our body, it becomes infused in every single one of our cells. He literally becomes us. He literally comes into us and affects our life. That's grace. You don't have to go home and think about digesting this. All right, Jesus, take that bread to my pores and get it into my... You don't have to think about it. It's grace. He's already created your body to do that. This is the body 
in the blood of Christ that was shed for us. This is the body and the blood of Christ that has been resurrected and given a new body that will never die again. This represents the firstborn of new creation. We are eating new creation today. We are taking in our Christian hope through the common elements of bread and wine. We're taking in. We're eating future food right now. New creation food. We're taking it into us. And we're reminded. We're reminded. He's going to do the same thing to us. Christ has been resurrected. He's got new, new, he's put on new creation. The same future awaits us. This corruptible will put on incorruption. What he's done to the wine, what he's done to the bread, he's going to do to us. That future reality. One day we're going to be united in a way that we aren't right now. We're going to be united with the Father in a way that we aren't right now. We've got a down payment, but it's about to be paid in full when Christ comes back. As you come to the table, let this thought fill your mind. If God was willing to go through all of this to redeem you while you were still a sinner, to adopt you into his family while you were his enemy, if God was willing to go to that extent when you were a sinner, what do you think he's going to do when you meet him face to face in the new creation? God was willing to pay the ultimate price, his sinless son, for you and I while we were jacked up sinners. Adopted us into the family while we were giving him the finger and we were his enemy. What is he going to do when we meet him face to face? When we're holy, when we're perfect, when we're spotless. What's he going to do? Think about that as you take the body and the blood of Christ this afternoon.